for Breakfast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, welcome back to Cake for Breakfast, your New York City morning show bringing you the top stories from Wall Street to Hollywood. I'm your host, Jess Devine, aka Girl on the Street. Happy Thursday. So much to get into today. We are still in LA. Life is good, super busy. I feel like I'm on those episodes of Sex in the City, you know, when the girls come to LA and have all those very LA experiences. And I also identified a new way us New Yorkers are getting gypped, and that is on the grocery store luxury front out here. Um, hello, Bristol Farms. Where have you been all my life? Bouge McBouge. Like, why do we not have this store in New York City? That is a venture that needs to happen ASAP. It was, it was quite the experience. All right, last night we went out with one of my boyfriend's old colleagues. This guy took us to that San Vicente bungalows. It's that private members club. Not sure if anyone's been, but they like take your phone at the front, make sure you put stickers over your cameras. And I don't know about anyone else, but when I'm told no, it feels very much like a yes. It reminds me of like when you go to the art gallery and they say don't touch the art. And then what's the only thing you can think about the entire time? Yes, that was me. And side note here, if you are a mother, can you please train your son to give women a one hour heads up? My man calls me and says, hey, like we're invited to go to the hottest spot in LA where basically only movie stars hang. I know you just finished a four-mile run and are a sweaty mess, but could you please be ready in 10 minutes? Uh, no, not going to happen. (laughs) So if you are in LA, DM me any spots I need to check out before I leave. I did go over to Runyon Canyon, which was hilarious, a huge facade. It is completely closed off with cops at the gate, and I was like trying to go in, and they're like, you can't come in, and I was like, I see girls Instagramming here every day. I want to go for a run uh, through the canyon like everybody else does. And the guys were like, no, this is shut down for COVID. And there's like these two TikTokers climbing a fence with some like emo camera dude. I'm like, what about them? They're like, ma'am, we can only control the parking lot. We cannot control these kids going in. I was like, okay, okay. That really made me laugh. So if you want to go to Runyon, you need to know somebody who is behind this like newly gated community, I guess. Because the people living there convinced the government to close it down for COVID, aka we are tired of the millions of Instagram pictures being taken here on the daily. Okay, super excited about our interview today with the Sammy Miro. But first, let's talk about some highlights coming out of earnings season right now. Lots of action there. And I also have a Britney Spears conservatorship update for you guys. So let's get into it. All right, let's open today with our market minute. It is earnings season, baby. This is like the juiciest, most fun time on Wall Street. If you are working in finance, if you're dating someone in finance, like this is your this is the busy time. So basically what this means is the go time for trading. So if you have been sitting on the sidelines and you guys know I'm trying to get everybody to trade, I think more women should be trading. It shouldn't just be the guys in the conversation because it is so much fun. This is sort of the time you could buy a stock and see a little action because basically the companies print their earnings. So how much money they made in the quarter, which is kind of the most important number, yada, yada, a bunch of other stuff. And there tends to be a lot of volatility around this time. So if you're going to trade ahead of the print, you have an opportunity where the stock could go up or you know what, I've been crushed on this before and the company posts less than desirable earnings and you lose your money going in. But it is a fun time to play 
play the market. But today specifically, I want to talk about Google, who just crushed their earnings earlier this week. And that is thanks to YouTube, who have suddenly crept up as this major video platform that I don't think a lot of us were really aware of how big and powerful this beast actually is. Okay, here's why people are freaking out. Google earnings smashed sales records as digital ad market booms, and YouTube was a big driver of this. YouTube is on pace to match Netflix in revenue. Yes, you heard that right. YouTube, who you were like, oh, how do they make money? Well, they're making about to make the same amount of money as Netflix, which most of us view as like the biggest studio platform right now. Here's sort of the juiciest detail from this story. YouTube is seeing a rise in more traditional television advertisers. So people that would go to ABC, Fox, CBS, they're now like putting ad money into YouTube videos. All right, so if this current growth trajectory continues, YouTube will book between 29 billion and 30 billion in revenue this year. Now, Netflix is expected to report 29.7 billion in revenue for 2021. This is according to an average of Wall Street estimates. Again, estimates, but that's those are some pretty crazy numbers. All right, the cake here, it is pretty interesting how Google is kind of like hot again. They were sort of like, oh, Google is Google, but like you forget about all these other businesses. Google's also one of the reopening trades, right? So like, you know how we had the Corona economy with the Zooms and the, I guess Spotify maybe, and but Google is a reopening trade in the sense that people are looking to travel again. They're using Google search. They're, Vegas is another kind of reopening trade with like Wynn and MGM and all those places. So we've got the Corona economy stocks and then we've got the reopening stocks and Google is falling into that category. I am really excited about this because obviously as a podcaster, I'm a content creator and everybody's shifting. You're moving from traditional formats to these new formats and like these YouTube kids are getting paid tons of money. I'm not a YouTuber yet. Maybe I'm going to put my podcast on there. That kind of excites me if there's that much ad revenue going in here, but very, very positive outlook for self-content creators. So get excited, guys. All right, next up here, Britney Spears is set to speak in court on June 23rd, 2021. This is coming to us from her lawyer. Very exciting news. The cake here, this is going to be the first time I think she'll speak outside of, you know, her Instagram videos where we're still all rolling our eyes at, confused, trying to figure out what's going on. So I'm excited to hear what she has to say. I'm sure it will be written by somebody on her team. It does sound like her mother is sort of siding with Brittany, trying to get Jamie off of this case. Uh, I think I'm not going to really comment on this until we hear what she has to say and go from there. Mental health check. Yes, I am talking to you. Feeling sad, struggling, feeling anxious, looking for direction. These are all normal feelings we encounter every day that honestly kind of suck and can be really hard to navigate. But the good news is there are resources to help you manage these feelings and make you a more productive person. And that is therapy, specifically our show sponsor, BetterHelp. Me, personally, I'm an extremely high-energy type A person, but on the flip side of that, when I go low, I go real low. 
And before therapy to deal with the lows, I do unhealthy things like binge eat, hide in my room watching Gossip Girl on repeat all day, crying, alone, you get the picture. But the worst for me and my sort of mental health disaster specialty was picking huge fights with people close to me and absolutely sabotaging relationships. I was kind of tired at one point of just like repeating the same behaviors that yielded really stressful results like the loss of relationships I valued. So let's talk about me actually entering therapy. I did not walk in the door with a smile. I was way too cool for it, approached it from kind of like, honestly, like an angry place, like, oh, why am I here? And I'd, you know, I'd heard it was good. And and then I just sort of took it on. Like I definitely used my therapist as a bit of a punching bag, not literally speaking, but it just felt good to have like this safe place to unleash my feelings and emotions and a safe place, let me add. And I could be myself, like say what was on my mind and not just have to put on an act or be worried that somebody was judging me. Like there is no BS to this game. It's all about helping you and you get to be whoever you want to be with that person you're working with. And Like a month in, I was calmer, I found new ways to handle my stress, and guess what? I've been in a pretty successful relationship ever since. Now, if you're making fun of me for being a bit of a crybaby, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to be as honest as possible because, like I said before, I did originally come into therapy from that school thought of like, oh, if you're having a bad day, you go for a run. Well, guess what? That's terrible advice because you're just putting your problems away and not actually dealing with them head on. All right, so emotions are kind of like my thing, but therapy is also great for people who maybe want to adjust their like drinking and drug habits, overeating, and overeating actually I did work on in therapy and was able to manage binge eating successfully, so I thought that was great. I also think it's a great tool for moms, new moms. BetterHelp works with you on your phone. It's obviously completely confidential, secure, all that. You can FaceTime, text. Now here's why I think BetterHelp is especially worth working with because finding a therapist in New York City or LA, it's like $400 an hour minimum. They never take insurance. I don't know why they just don't. And it's just very stressful. Also, if you hate the person that you just spent all that money on, it's over. Like the money just goes away. I don't know. It's just a mess. But with BetterHelp, it's half the price for a month. And you get the same style of service. They send you matches and you get to choose from. And if you hate your person, basically swipe left like in dating to know. And then they send you somebody new. There is no awkward in this game. Again, it is all about helping you. Cake for Breakfast is sponsored by BetterHelp and our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash cake. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P dot com slash cake, C-A-K-E. Please DM me, send me a note. If you're interested, I can connect you. This link will be in the show's bio. It will also be on my Instagram, so it's easy to find. And give it a try. I promise you this is worth your money. All right, let's welcome to the show Miss Sammy Miro. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Welcome to Cake for Breakfast. We're really excited to have you here with us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. You have the best background I've ever seen out of all my guests. So everybody make sure to head to the Instagram so you can check out Sammy's wall of clothes that I think I want every piece of already. (laughs) Um, Sammy, I know a bit about you, but I want to start from the beginning and talk a little bit about your background. You are a born and raised San Francisco girl. What was your upbringing like? Ooh, my upbringing. Um, My upbringing was 
very loving and centered around education. Very cool. Working very hard for everything that we get and um, just being a really good person at the end of the day. You had good parents. Your parents were like musicians, right? Or they were, I read. I was raised by just my dad. I don't have a relationship with my mom. Uh, but my dad is a jack of all trades. He's a, a true Renaissance man. His background is he was a jazz musician when he was young, when he was super young growing up in LA. And uh, then he was randomly a writer on Laverne and Shirley and Welcome Back Cotter. And then he went through many, many years of schooling. Uh, and he was an engineer for actually the first aircraft that landed on the moon. This guy was a musician, an engineer, a single dad. Like, what didn't he do? <laughs> He's been a professor for the last, like, um, 40-ish years, so. Wow, very. And he's from L.A.? Yes, he's born and raised in L.A. and uh, moved to San Francisco uh, right before I was born. Very cool. Um, that is. That sounds like you. he got to do lots of cool stuff. So I've read that you were a very competitive gymnast at like an Olympic training level. What did your life and schedule look like growing up? I knew I grew up with kids that were like gymnasts and they, you never saw them at a party. You never saw them at anything. They were so plugged in. I imagine you were very focused in your formative years. Yes, I absolutely was. And I am so happy that I had that at such a young age because it taught me everything about time management and uh, just really working hard and being able to basically have a full-time job while you're a child in school. <laughs> my my um, schedule was nuts. We, we trained about 40 hours a week and uh, I never went to a party until I quit gymnastics. <clears throat> I had no social life. My only social setting was at the gym and <laughs> yeah so it, it was it was was it the like your dad was driving you you did five to eight in the morning training and then after school it was like four to eight kind of thing no so it was um I would go to school normal hours but I would leave about in two hours early mm -hmm. and take the train to uh San Mateo okay was 30 minute train ride. And that's when I would do like all of my math and science homework. And for people who don't know, I actually used to cover some hedge funds out there. It's kind of a bougie area of, uh, it's like a suburb of San Fran, right? Yeah. 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 It's part of Silicon Valley, like kind yeah. of the beginning of it. Uh, what do they call that train again? It's like the beach. It's called something. The, uh, the Caltrain. That's what I would Caltrain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So you'd get on that, you'd be doing like math homework on the train, go to gym practice all day, all after school. All night, I would get home at around 10 p.m. every night and eat dinner in the car and get any homework done that I could and, um, and then wake up early and go to school. And the goal was to get you to the Olympics. Was that sort of like while you were in it, was that the idea or just um, to keep you out of trouble? <laughs> Oh, I was a really good kid. <laughs> so what led you to LA then? So you're in San Fran. Did you go to university in California or did you skip that step? No, no. I went to a lot of school. Um, I went to Santa Clara University for um, undergrad. I have a bachelor's in marketing. Mm -hmm. and, um, after, after I graduated, I actually went into grad school and it was 
an accelerated master's program for global entrepreneurship and management. So cool. Work and study in the US, Europe, and Asia, and uh, just learn how to do business in all of those different continents, which are all extremely different. Uh, and so then after that, I ended up working for a tech startup and I was there for about four years. And I was super lucky because my job required a lot of travel. So I didn't have mm-hmm. to in San Francisco. And that's when I decided I'm going to take advantage of this and move to LA just to get a different, a different scene, a different idea of it all. Yeah. And then when I moved to LA, I had always been that like weird vintage girl in a very like corporate tech world where I'm having meetings with like white dudes and pleated khakis and vintage clothes. Um, and, um, but so, I, but I was so far removed from the fashion industry that I didn't know, I didn't even think about it ever potentially even becoming a business. It was just a part of my heart and some, in, in a way that I would express myself. Got it. Talk to us about Sammy Miro Vintage. Where did this idea come from? How did you set up the business, et cetera? So the idea was super organic. Um, I ended up quitting my corporate job because I, I realized that I had something really creative inside of me that was dormant being in San Francisco, but being exposed to the creativity in LA just kind of brought it out of me. I took a year of exploration and I tried, you know, did like modeling, I did styling. And um, in that process, I realized that, you know, I, I had the ability to design, but I always wanted to stay true to my foundation, which was vintage and sustainability. Mm-hmm. Start. It took me a while to figure out like, what does that mean? Because back in 2016, it was very uncommon to be reworking vintage and to care about sustainability and fashion. Well, you are and were and always have been the most famous person in that sphere, I think. Like I heard about vintage through following you in 2016. Oh, well, I'm honored. Um, yeah, so I, that that being authentic is the most important thing for me always. So I knew that when I wanted to start a clothing line, it was going to have to be vintage and sustainable. And I, one day I had an epiphany and I realized how to do that, which involved a lot of like reworking vintage denim and turning that into new garments. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of ran with it and built a business in like 10 days, figured out manufacturing LA and in 10 days, did you say? Yeah. uh (laughs) But what was the breaking point, Sammy? Was it, so you found like these, this denim look and then some celebrity or friend or somebody was like, that's really cool. Can I buy that? And then you're like, whoa, hello, business idea. Is that sort of how it happened? I was styling somebody for the MTV movie awards. And I was like, everything is kind of garbage out there. I want to make something. So I started sketching different things. And the idea was I created a patchwork bomber made out of vintage denim. And that idea just took me to a whole nother place. And then I created all of these other things based from vintage denim as well. So cool. Then I was like, okay, the MTV Movie Awards are in 10 days. I have 10 days to start a business because I need to be ready to launch after this. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, So yeah, that's what I did. And, you know, if I have an idea, 
if I have an idea or a goal, I'm the kind of person that I just need to get it done immediately. Yeah. Until. And just runs with it. So did you bootstrap then at the beginning or were you fundraising a little bit? How did this, how did it sort of come about? No, uh, SMV has been self-funded since day one. We, I'm the full hundred percent owner. Amazing. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it any other way. Which is tough, right? Not everybody can do that. It's a tough way to go. Yeah, it is super tough, but my plan from the beginning, because I was not involved in the fashion industry at all, slash new little to nothing, I my plan was to really take my time and learn every aspect of the business mm-hmm. in itself so that in the future when I was ready to really grow and scale and and uh, put together a team, I would be able to make educated decisions on every part of the business. Got it. Got it. All right. So everybody heard that 2016. Now Sammy's stuff is worn by Bella, Gigi, all the big modeling names like are wearing your designs. How long did that happen sort of after that 2016 moment? Was it, I know it was organic, but was it a couple years in? Was it right away? Like, did it just kind of take off? You know, I, I have been so lucky to be, um, get, like real true love from such influential people out there. And um, I, it happened very early on, actually, when I launched my first very small collection, um, Selena Gomez, actually, who we had a, a mutual best friend and she saw my pieces and she was like, this is so cool. Can you send me something so I can shoot it on tour? She, you, she brought, she talked about you in a magazine. This is another way where you were sort of coming on my radar in the mid 2000 or the 2016 moment. Cause she said you styled her whole, one of her whole tours, right? Like you came on board at that point. Yeah. So, so she, she borrowed some clothes and like took amazing photos. It was like a, a Selena campaign, basically. Oh my God. <laughs> What's going on? You're like, sweet marketing materials. <laughs> and, um, then she ended up after, so this was when she was in Canada. So she did Canada and Europe. And, or when she came back, I, we were at a barbecue and she was like, I want you to like redesign my, my tour um, attire. And I was like, what? And, he's and she like, needs it tomorrow, I'm guessing, too. No, she was like, I'm going to go to, I think it was Europe, finish my Europe tour, and then you can, like, get it all together in those weeks, and, you know, you'll have time. And for me, I was like, like, I'm nobody. Like, what is she even talking about? Like, I don't even believe, I'm not going to believe this, you know, until it's more real. Yeah. I got um, a phone call from our mutual best friend in her, and she told me that she wants me to come meet her in Asia immediately and redesign her whole tour. So I had like two and a half days or maybe one and a half days to just pack everything that I oh had. Oh my gosh. And I didn't really know what to expect, but it ended up being something really game changing, I think, in the world of these massive world tours. Mm-hmm. You know, these these huge pop stars, they have their show, they have five changes per show. And for the entire year, for every continent they go to, it's the same look every single time. 
But with Selena, we did something that I don't think has ever been done before, where every single night in every city, we changed her looks every time. So maybe there was like one or two that stayed the same, but then the the other uh, three or four, we would switch up every single time. And that so was- You're styling her, is it, are you styling her when she's on stage or are you styling her when she gets off stage and she's going to sign autographs or is it everything? It was both. Oh my gosh. And you're having to do everything from scratch because they're just like jumping, they're throwing you into this kind of really quickly. Luckily, she had an amazing team of yeah. stuff, you know, to help um, bring everything in and, and make it fit for her perfectly. But Oh, that is so cool. That's a great story. And from there, you're like, okay, like I'm on the map now. Everybody's talking about me. What is the long-term vision for SMV or the big-term vision? Where do we want to take it to? You know, like I said, everything has been super organic so far. And right now I'm in things, business has been really amazing. And I'm so lucky to be able to say that, especially during these times that we're in. Mm -hmm. But I, right now, the biggest thing that I'm trying to work through is how to maintain sustainable and continue to scale. Mm -hmm. Happy Earth Day, belated Earth Day. I know you're a big proponent of that. Oh, she's got an Earth Day shirt on. Love it. (laughs) Her launch yesterday, her Earth Day launch yesterday. Um, We, that's, I think, the biggest, the the most difficult, the most challenging thing is how to remain a conscious, sustainable business, Mm -hmm. but also grow and be able to scale and, and, and compete with these bigger companies out there because that's when things get more more tricky. And right. so um, I have an amazing team around me now and um, we're figuring out how to do all of those things and just being super conscious and aware of how to do that. So our goal overall, and you know, this may change mm-hmm. quickly, but I, the overall goal is to really be able to grow SMV to a huge level and show the world that you can do that in a very conscious way. And not hurt the planet and mm-hmm. care about the environment and also produce really sick clothes at the same time. Really sick clothes. The uh, sort of, I don't want to say sweatsuit, but the inspired one with the cutouts on the side that all the celebrities are wearing now are so cool. I just love those. Now, are you doing sustainability for everything? So if somebody goes to the Oscars and wear, wears a dress, will they call you in and say, Sammy, can you you know do something to this look? Like, Is that an avenue you'd go into or is it more just your own stuff right now? Well, my business mostly, I mean, I had that like super tiny collection that I launched in 2016, but until until August of 2020, I was focused really only on creating one of ones. So I would source vintage from all over the world and then we would rework it and put like our signature stamp on it. Mm -hmm. That was my focus. But now since last August, the business has really changed and that's how it's been able to grow so quickly. And that's why we're doing cut and sew, but all of the fabrics are sustainable. They're either vintage upcycled or organic. Um, but there are so many steps within the supply chain that make us sustainable. It's not just the fabrics and, and every single, every single step of the supply chain, we are aimed to be the most conscious, uh, that and eco-friendly that we can be. Def, if we are buying Sammy Miro Vintage, it's we are not hurting the planet. We are doing it from recycled. We're doing it. We're doing it the good way. 
Yeah, we're doing it the good way. And a part of sustainability that a lot of people miss is that making sure that you're treating the people who are making the clothing well and that, mm -hmm. they're, that they're earning living wages because that's a huge part of this. You know, when you manufacture in China or, I mean, even in, in America too, um, there's wages are our last priority. And I have, I have, um, everyone wants it cheap, cheap, cheap. How can I get it made the cheapest? And it's like, that's the fast merch. How over the word merch are you? <laughs> like seriously, if I see that one more time, I'm just done. It's like, this is not good. I've bought my set of merch before and it went into the trash, like, you know, two wears in right and over it. Our price point is, is, you know, in the luxury side of things, mm -hmm. amazing quality fabrics. It's made by people who are earning real money and um, it's all done in Los Angeles and um, we're, we are just, you know, making sure that every part of it is done right. And that means that our price point has to be higher for that. Reason. And guys, celebrities wear it. So if they're wearing it, you know, we need to be trying to wear it at least. Um, I wanted to ask you, is there a celebrity or a supermodel whose essence really embodies the SMV brand? Like, is there somebody that comes to mind when you're creating or I, I know you're, I, you're kind of the model celebrity, but is there anybody else that you've sort of thought, oh, they, you know, this is built for them or this, like, I love their energy. Yeah. I'm yes. And no, I definitely don't really have someone that I'm designing for besides I'm just making things that I know that I would love. Mm -hmm. Luckily that works for, for, for most people, for a lot more people than just me. Yeah. I would say that, I mean, I love Bella and her style. I love Bella. She's my favorite fashion icon too. She's, she's incredible. And she's been such a supporter of SMV and um, yeah, she's, She's incredible. She's your girl. Love it. Um, Kate, can you talk to our listeners about your experience modeling for Yeezy season six campaign, arguably one of the most famous fashion campaigns of our generation. There was nothing cooler than that. I thought that was so great when your shot came out and you booked it. Was it, did they come to you? How did that all sort of come about? And what was the, was it a big set or was it as cool as it looks where it's like the, the car, you're in Yeezy, one photographer, like that very paparazzi vibe they sort of, you know, gave us in that campaign? don't know how much I'm allowed to say okay <laughs> um, but overall I mean I was consulting at Yeezy in and oh cool so then it transitioned into the in front of the camera side which was really fun to be able to do both but that was a really really cool experience it was epic and something that has never been done before but you know it was it was done in in the same locations that Kim shot the original ones in so mm -hmm. we were offices and had had the same photographer who shot her the same wigs and the outfit so it was it so was cool really epic it was just such a cool idea because no one had really thought of campaigns like that before like that was just sort of what was the the game-changing aspect of that and the wig was epic the wigs they had them on Paris Hilton they had them on Sammy they had them on those twins um yeah that was a great campaign it looked like a lot. and after that your visibility must have just gone through the roof right yeah it, it like Kim posted you on her Instagram it doesn't get any more big time than that yeah that was that was a pretty wild experience but 
it it was definitely one of my favorite things that I've ever been a part of. For sure. I would have been so nervous. I just like, I would have been like, Hey, I have to look like Kim, my idol. Like, how do I do it? <laughs> um, well, let's pivot into ch- chatting for a minute about your own campaigns that you're doing. If you guys follow Sammy, I was telling her earlier, I love her shots. She does. She did the coolest thing with this Fendi, uh, Instagram shot you did like during the pandemic everyone had to sort of like figure out their own creativity and most people like put the sheet up behind them and they were like oh look I'll put a light against it but Sammy had the she was like grabbing a chandelier in one shot it was really cool so um I want to know where how do you get to this creative place that you sort of think up these ideas because I think everybody wants to like have the coolest Instagram shot but you're kind of the one doing it so can you can you let us in on like where that creative space comes from, how you get there, where your ideas generate from? Well, first, thank you. That's a very kind compliment. Uh, I, oof, I think um, in the beginning of quarantine, I did not want to post anything. I was just like not into it. And as things started to pick up and uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do things very differently than I've done before. And I always just get inspiration from the brand and mm-hmm. from clothing. So uh, I like to shoot a lot of things, you know, in like Griffith Park. So most of my like foresty looking things are just shot at, at Griffith. Hopefully one day we'll never be on influencers in the wild because that is my definitely one of a big fear. I'm super vigilant when I'm shooting. Out. The best one was this winter. They had that girl in like the bikini, like really going at it in like the Deer Valley or wherever she was. Oh my God, that was the best. That was one of the best shots of 2021 so far. Anyway, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, right? I mean, I like to get I think like in real life, I'm just like a normal, personable person, mm-hmm. but who I am on Instagram, I think is different than who I really am because I like to get like really weird and do like strange poses and just get really creative because, you know, the, with all of these jobs that I have, I never want to produce the same thing over and over again. And mm-hmm. I want to make so I just get inspired from the brand and from the clothes and just kind of go from there. What was your pandemic experience like? Did you quarantine in LA or did you go home to see your dad? What was what was your setup? Well, I quarantined in LA. Uh, I actually have not gotten on a plane since March of 2020. Okay. I'm a friend in Los Angeles who has not left. <laughs> <laughs> all of LA has moved to Cabo. So, um, but all of New York has moved to Tulum. Oh yeah. Nice. That's far. That's a far trip. Actually, no, it's on the East coast. Yeah. That's sort of our Cabo. Yeah. Yeah, But I feel you. So you stuck around and you just put your head down and worked. Yes. Yeah. It was a, was a extremely important and formative time for the growth of the company because it was the first time ever that I have focused you know 90% of my time on SMV mm-hmm. and it off because you know before I was doing so much traveling or you know like jobs in New York or it was fashion month twice a year so I've gone for at least two months out of the year for that alone and uh this time it was just me. And I knew that in the beginning of COVID, I was actually concerned because I had my first collection and 
retailers bought into it and then COVID happened. And I was like, should I push this or should that's I stressful? Yeah. Yeah. And it's self-funded. So I'm like, we have to put all this money into production. Oh. Uh, and I just decided, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to work my ass off mm-hmm. and happen and it really paid off. So I, I wouldn't have done it any other way. Did you have to pivot at all? Like, did you, with your, with that campaign, did you push it back? Did you, you know, was there anything that really had to pivot within the brand or you just had to sort of sit within the regulations and figure out what you were allowed to do for work, I guess? Yeah. Yes. We were always in regulation for sure. Uh, but, but no, I mean, we had a, we had a deadline for retail that, mm-hmm. So it was, it was a, the, the main thing actually, I, yes, the answer is yes. I had to pivot and I had to do things differently because I manufacture everything in LA, which also in a way worked to my advantage because a lot of people had to, were held up months and months from, from China China, and docks and all of that. So uh, being in LA helped me in some ways, but also I had to do everything figure out my production differently because half of the places that I went to were closed and half of them had to like secretly go into. Uh, so it had to do their thing. Yeah. So it was a kind of like a scary time to yeah. be waters, but like I had to. So. Um, okay. Sammy, can we get a little personal here? Are you in a relationship right now or single? I am newly single. Sammy, Sam, guys, lit, Sammy is hot on the town. She's ready to get after it. I like it. Newly single. Yeah, the pen- Pardon? I said, I do not look in my DMs. Don't slide in. <laughs> do not slide into her DMs. Can people find you on an app? Are you apps? Or are you are you an old fashioned girl? You're going to get set up naturally by somebody. I'm just kind of taking my time right now and focusing on what makes me really happy and being an owner of company and we're growing so much. That's your boyfriend. Yeah. That's my boyfriend and my girlfriend and your girlfriend and your lover overall, everything. Um, what are the most important things you look for in a partner? We have a lot of single girls that listen. Lots of people want to be somebody like you, famous fashion designer. Tell us what the rest of us need to be looking for. (laughs) Let's see. I think an honest person who treats you with kindness and goes above and beyond for you and shows you that they know that you have value and that they respect you. Mm -hmm. That I would say is number one. Uh, And I like a really intelligent man. I want someone more than looks, more than anything. I want a guy who can really teach me something. Yeah. And Sammy, why don't we get you back to New York and we'll enter you to some Wall Street boys? That's an industry you probably have not explored a lot. Well, I mean, not Wall Street, but, you know, the tech world in San Francisco, kind of like similar-ish vibes. Um, Yeah, we'll see. Wall Street and tech, we don't always love each other. I'm a former Wall Streeter and we think we each have our egos. So I'm not going to agree with you on that one. We're going to have to get you a nice Wall Street boy. (laughs) All right. What's the third thing? Uh, let's see. Okay. What did I say? Um, trust, honesty, someone who's smart, transparency, I guess, kind of like goes in with all of that. Someone who's also well-traveled and, um, adventurous. I can't with someone who, you know, we go to like a sushi restaurant and they're like, I'm just going to have the vegetarians. 
like, oh no, I don't like that fish. If I need someone who's will try the gnarliest thing out there. Like I used to live in Taiwan in my uh, master's program. And on day one, I had my Taiwanese friends take me to like a super Taiwanese spot. And I had this like blood soup with, oh my gosh, <laughs> blood patties. And I was like, you know what? I'm never going to eat this again, but I ate it. And I'm so happy that I did. You remind me of that uh, Jen Aniston, Ben Stiller movie. I can't remember. Along came Polly. Remember where she takes him and he gets so sick. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Um, before we get into our last uh, quick section here, what is the what is your idea of a perfect pandemic date in LA? Going obviously to some crazy restaurant and eating the wildest thing off of it. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, the only thing that you really can do is go to a restaurant now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the so- beach. You guys have the beach here, which is so nice. Not a big beach person unless it's a beautiful tropical beach got it okay la is a bit too local (laughs) like uh, at venice beach maybe malibu malibu beach is beautiful malibu is so beautiful um what's your favorite restaurant in la right now Hmm. well i'm a huge huge sushi person Mm -hmm. uh, which has been super difficult in covid because delivery sushi is can't do it so uh I mean, for sushi, I love Sushi Park. I love Sushi Gen. Well, that's down here, Sushi Park. I should pick that. I heard about that. Uh-huh. It's on Sunset, right? Yep. Yeah. Right by you. It's sushi- like very strip mall, but then like Leo DiCaprio goes there kind of vibe. Small sushi is the best sushi. It yeah. It doesn't fancy. The focus is on the food and the fish quality. And it's usually in kind of like a dingy environment. And I, I love that. <laughs> You'd have to date someone really fun. I think that's, that, that's what you come with. Um, all right. Cake for breakfast story, Sammy. I'd love to get your takes on some of the top news stories we cover on the show right now. So basically every show I do the top three to five stories of the day, and then we get into our interviews. Bitcoin, are you trading stocks or cryptos? Are you investing? Yes. I um, have invested in Ethereum and a few others. Nice. Yeah. And it's Litecoin, really- Doge. What else did you buy? Yeah, Doge. Uh, those Ripple. Are the- one more. I don't know. You tell me. What else? Ripple, Litecoin, Doge, Ethereum, Bitcoin. But you're in the game. You're. Are you trading on Robinhood? Robinhood and um, Coin. I love hearing that. It's really, it's, that's one of my efforts is to try and get more women to trade. And what, had you been doing this for a while or did you just sort of like jump in when everyone was talking about it? Um, I started uh, maybe three months ago. Cool. So your Ethereum's doing well, more money for the business. Feeling it right now. Yeah. Well, there we have it. That was a great interview. Thank you so much for your time. And I loved all the insights you gave us. Thank you. I had a lot of fun with you. Now for a quick interruption, I just want to ask something out of you guys. If you were listening to the show today and have not subscribed, would you mind just taking a couple seconds to do so? It's super simple. I'm going to walk you through it really quick. All you have to do is pick up your phone that you're listening to the show on, go to the main screen. You should see a purple icon. It almost looks like a satellite dish and it says podcast below it. Once you open that up, in the search icon, type in cake for breakfast. The show will come up and just hit the subscribe button. 
It's free for you and very meaningful for me. It supports my business. And honestly, Oprah asks her listeners to do the same thing, so I don't feel weird about it. <laughs> thank you so much for listening, and thank you even more for supporting the show today.